This is Dr. Tiberius Rata and is teaching on Ezra and Nehemiah. This is session number nine, Nehemiah chapters seven and eight. Let's open to Nehemiah seven. Um, the first uh, five uh, verses uh, show us again uh, Nehemiah delegating uh, work. Starting in verse 1, Now when the wall had been built and had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards, from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it on my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found it written in it. So the wall is completed. Um, now Nehemiah has to appoint um, gatekeepers. These are the ancient uh, security guards. Uh, the singers and the uh, Levites probably helped in this role, uh, even though guarding the gates was not their primary responsibility. So we, we can think about these. These are kind of emergency uh, arrangements only. This was not the actual day-to-day responsibility that will continue uh, on. But as a good leader, Nehemiah knew that he could not and he should not do the work alone. Therefore, he uh, delegates some of the work to uh, Hanani and Hananiah. Uh, Remember, Hanani is the brother of Nehemiah, so-called brother, um, who first informed him of the tragic state of uh, Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2. Now, Twice he is called my brother, which leads some scholars to believe that he was actually his like, physical brother, a blood brother. We, we don't know. Uh, it could be that he was just a compatriot. Uh, but Hananiah served as governor of the, of the castle, so he was more qualified to supervise the guarding of the, of the city. Uh, this is, again, a very important role of a leader to understand the people he's working with and to delegate work uh, to them. But these first five verses also tell us that uh, Jerusalem was not yet uh, repopulated fully and houses have not been rebuilt. I mean, think about when people come back. We will see that at the end of the book. Where do people live? Do they, do they want to live in the city of Jerusalem or do they want to live in the countryside? We will see most people want to live in the countryside where they can, you know, build, where they can plant trees and crops and live off the land. Not many were hurrying to live downtown Jerusalem. And there is a problem of how you're going to repopulate Jerusalem. And we'll see uh, at the end of the book how uh, they will do that. And uh, following uh, this delegation, you have uh, the, the genealogy that Nehemiah finds. 
And what we have here in chapter 7 from verse 6 to the end is um, a list of the people who uh, returned. This list is almost identical to the list in Ezra chapter 2. There are some insignificant uh, divergences. uh, And in my commentary, I have a list of those divergences. And you can see the, the list of the... The both lists side by side with the, uh, with the changes. Um, so remember, there were three waves of uh, deportation. There were three waves of reconstruction uh, and uh, renewal. Now the nation will be ready for the spiritual restoration that was needed. Both of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah have the physical restoration and the spiritual, the spiritual restoration. And if until now we saw a sort of a physical restoration to the city, starting in uh, chapter 8, we actually move to the spiritual restoration. But before I move on, I want to point out a very important archaeological uh, discovery here um, from the time of Nehemiah, uh, this is uh, this mentions uh, Tema, which is mentioned in uh, chapter seven, verse fifty-five, in the list of uh, returnees. And really, what you have here is a two two men with hands in worship in front of an altar, and then the name of uh, Temah at the bottom. Uh, what is interesting here is again you have. Uh, evidence of this seal with the name of a person from the list of returnees from the time of Nehemiah. Um, again, this, uh, a lot of these um, uh, seals were found um, uh, in, uh, in Jerusalem, and this is dated back from the time of Nehemiah. So uh, it's a very interesting uh, uh, discovery. Uh, So we move now to chapter 8, where we will see uh, the start of the spiritual restoration of the people. And this restoration starts uh, and ends with the word of God. Um, What has happened during the exilic period? They were gone um, in uh, different parts. Uh, They didn't have uh, the temple to go back to. Uh, some scholars suggest that it was during this time that synagogue was born, and synagogues pop, all over, pop up all over the world when the Jews cannot go to the temple, so synagogues are being built all over uh, the world. But this restoration starts with the reading of the word. They, some Again, not everybody had their own Bibles, their own scrolls, so uh, now they are confronted with the word of God. chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. 
And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So what we have here is um, an assembly of people who are confronted with the word of God. Uh, and uh, we see here that they, they, they read it, uh, and they read it for a good period of time. And there seems to be a hunger uh, for uh, the word of God. And again, what, what word of God? Again, it's the law of Moses. Again, is it just the book of Deuteronomy? Is it the first five books? Uh, we don't know. But again, the book of the law is in existence uh, at this time. And this is what uh, he is, what Ezra is, uh, is reading. Uh, if you notice, uh, they're practicing something that some cultures still practice today. When they read the word of God, they stand up. If you go into many countries today, they still practice that. Um, and we have moved away from that uh, practice in uh, the American churches. But Ezra's blessing concluded the reading of the word and was followed by the people's response, uh, which was marked by three important characteristics. Their response was vocal, it was humble, and it was worshipful. They responded by saying, Amen. The, uh, it was... Uh, uh, you could see it. They raised uh, their hands. And then in their worship, they actually prostrated themselves to the ground. In fact, the Hebrew word for to worship literally means that, to prostrate before someone. There is no other meaning to that uh, word. So in, the, in Old Testament times, when you worshipped, you had to bow down before the one you worshipped. But well, what do you do when you read the word and you have people who hear it, but they don't really know what, what's going on? Again, it's been a long time since they've heard it, since they heard the word of God. Well, the Bible says that uh, the faithful have to explain uh, the word of God. They don't just read the word, they also explain uh, the word of God. And you had these people that are mentioned in verse 8. Uh, the Bible says, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the uh, law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that people understood the reading. A number of 13 Levites uh, are given here. Uh, their names are given, uh, and they help the people understand what is being uh, read. Uh, indeed, Moses, before his death, uh, blessed the Levites. And uh, Deuteronomy 33.10 tells us that the Levites shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. So that was their uh, God-given job even back to Deuteronomy. Uh, if you read in Second Chronicles during the time of Jehoshaphat, some Levites became itinerant teachers and went around through all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. 
Second Chronicles seventeen seven to nine. So this is, talks about the importance of the ministry of teaching uh, God's word, uh, not just in large assembly but in uh, in small groups. Both are important and necessary and vital to the life of the community of the faithful. So the the the, the faithful read the word, the faithful explain the word, and then the faithful rejoice uh, in the word. Starting in verse nine. Nine. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribes, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. By the way, for the first time we see Ezra and Nehemiah together. They are contemporaries, and here they are together in the worship service. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words they were declared to them. For some people, the words of the law produced new life. For some, probably reminded of them of their past. For some, uh, whatever happened here is the word cut deep like a sword. And then uh, it could be that these tears were tears of repentance, Um uh, we don't know. It doesn't say. It just says they mourned. It could be they were tears of repentance, as 2 Corinthians 7, 10 uh, says. Uh, but their tears were definitely not tears of joy, uh, because Ezra and Nehemiah have to tell the people, do not be grieved. Um, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah was not, they were not trying to get in the way of their repentance, but the grief needs to be rejo- uh, followed by rejoicing. There is a time to grieve, but there's also a time to rejoice. And that's what they're trying to emphasize here. It is the, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Uh, the joy of the Lord, not the grieving of the Lord, is the strength of the people. One scholar affirms, and I quote, It is Yahweh's joy over his people. That is the basis for the hope that they will be saved or protected from his anger. Yahweh's joy is the basis of their protection from the consequences of their neglect of the law. So what do they do when they rejoice? Well, they eat and they drink. And the eating and the drinking is the outward expression of the inward uh, state. And uh, again, they say this is holy to the Lord. Um, holy to the Lord was actually a designation for the Sabbath in Exodus 31 and 35. But not, now Ezra and Nehemiah declare this day is holy to the Lord because the people acted in accordance to God's law. I like how Warren Wiersbe summarizes what's happening in these verses. He says, there's conviction, there's cleansing, and there's celebration. The people are convicted of their sin, they are cleansed of their sin, but then 
they celebrate God's word. And not only do they rejoice in the word, but the faithful then follow up and obey the word. Starting in verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found in it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make boots as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made boots for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made boots and lived in the boots. For from the days of Joshua the son of Nun to this day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And, by, and day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. So everything starts with an in-depth Bible study. The priests, the Levites, and the head of households come to Ezra and say, Hey, we want to continue studying this word of God. And as they are reading, they're discovering this legislation about the Feast of Boots. Remember, uh, there was uh, began in Tishri 15. Remember, it was the primary festival of Thanksgiving. Showing gratitude for God's provision during the Exodus uh, event from from Egypt. You have that in Exodus 34. We have it in Leviticus uh, 23. And this fall festival closed out the agricultural year. And commemorated the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Um, Why? Because they lived in tents. And now they were celebrating that. And actually if you go to Israel today, they still... Some Jews, Orthodox Jews, still celebrate this and they build booths and celebrate God's uh, provision. It was uh, to Sukkot the Israelites first came after leaving Ramses. And uh, Exodus chapter 12, the festival of booths was also observed during the monarchy period, Second Chronicles 8. It was observed also in the post-exilic period. We see that in Ezra 3, Zechariah 14. And even during the early church period, this is the only festival uh, in which the Israelites were commanded to rejoice before the Lord. Again, the, the theme of joy here. There's grieving over your sin, but then you rejoice in the Lord. The returnees were eager to obey God's word, which apparently was ignored. A lot of them did not know it. They were ignorant of the word. Now they hear it, and the word of God is indeed like a sword that cuts, but it's a living, living and active uh, in their in their lives. And the result of obedience was more rejoicing. I like Warren Wearsby's insight, and I quote: "God doesn't give us joy instead of sorrow, or joy in spite of sorrow, but joy in the midst of sorrow." 
It is not substitution, but transformation. The law, people kept, uh, because of the law, the people kept the feast. And uh, the book of the law, again, played a central role. The Israelites were meant to be people of the book. And we are the same. We are people of the book. We need to love the book, uh, the word of God, and we need to love the God of the word. And uh, we are grateful for, uh, for his word, and we need to read it and then obey it just like I have done. And the answer, uh, the, the end result was obedience to the word and rejoicing in the word. Remember, the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is Dr. Tiberius Rata and his teaching on Ezra and Nehemiah. This is session number nine, Nehemiah chapters seven and eight.